Hey guys, and welcome to episode 10 of the Judo Talk podcast. Judo Talk, Talk, 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 Judo Talk, Talk. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 10. So I feel like we're flying through these. Um, last week, Last week's episode was a great one, actually. I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed talking to somebody who had a completely different perspective on judo. It was, uh, yeah, really refreshing. And so this week, we're mixing it up again. Um, This week's my guest is Gary Edwards. Um, Gary Edwards has been involved in judo for a long time and uh, coaching with Scotland, uh, more specifically. Um, And this one had... Obviously, I go into these podcasts with a plan of some things I'd like to talk about. And this one actually evolved quite nicely through a chat. And we went off topic a little bit. We talked about some things that I didn't think we'd necessarily talk about. Um, but it was really enjoyable. Anybody who knows Gary knows he loves a chat. Um, and I think, yeah, I think whatever your involvement in judo, I think you'll find some use in this one. So uh, I'm going to stop rambling. I'm going to let you guys get on with it. And I'll, I'll speak to you guys at the end. Hey guys, welcome to Judo Talk, and today I am talking to Gary Edwards. Say hello, Gary. Hi, Vince. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Gary, I think it would most probably be uh, a great way to start. Just sort of give us a little bit of background about your coaching, where you are now, you know, your job role and stuff like that, if you don't mind. Uh, at the moment, I'm the National Talent Development Coach for Judo Scotland. Uh We've just got back after a long layoff, as you know. But uh, my, my role is everything. I I have three coaches working under me, which is Stuart McWatt, Andrew Malone and Colin Woods. They uh, run the area sessions for me around Scotland, which is at east, west and north. Mm. So uh, basically I manage them. I also book all the accommodation, book all the flights, do the budget for my program, which is under 18 in Scotland. So that is basically my role of looking after all the players under 18 who are on the National Talent Development Squad. And so with that, so you're in charge of all the under 18s. With your role, what are you hoping? What are you hoping to do with that? When when a player enters uh, the program, what sort of your job to do with them? once they enter? The end, the end goal is obviously to give Ewan Burton, Billy Cusack, as many players as we can through the talent development programme into the high performance that, that they can work with. So basically my programme is, is is the pathway. It's, it's not so much a results business. It's more Ewan and Billy will tell me what they need out of a player for when they're 18, 17, 18, going into their programme. And I have to try to deliver that. So we sit down, we work on the programmes, what they're looking for, whether it's transition, niwaza, standing, uh, the grip inside of it. That is my job to make sure that when these players come through that pathway and enter the high performance, they have all these things in place. And what would, so say, for example, you know, say we hadn't had COVID and we're getting towards the end of 
players moving out, say the end of this year, they're moving out of your programme into the next programme. Like, what would they say to you, Gary, we would really like them to be able to do what? What would that be? Uh, the, the fundamentals. They're, they're looking for the fundamentals. So they're looking that the kids can understand the side of judo. So they can understand movement. They can understand when you throw somebody to follow them, the transition into Niwaza, to be able to be competent to finish in Niwaza, to have the skills to be able to do the Niwaza and, and know what exactly what they're looking for. Hmm. And say so what age what age would they enter the programme and what age would they leave? They you can come into my program from the age of 10. So it's a, a band. So what, what we do, we have two different squads in, in my area. So we have a talent development squad, which is, it, it's open to most kids in Scotland, to be truthful. We, we, we run different competitions and different training sessions for different kids. So the talent development is the, the lower-based ones. Uh, so, for instance, we have a Grand Prix circuit in Scotland, which is... We hold, I think it's a five Grand Prix, four or five Grand Prix a year. Now, this is not for the the high-level cadet players. This is for the, the stage below to get them used to competing. It's fun. It, there's not as much pressure. So what we do, a lot of the kids, A-band and pre-cadet, go into these events. And what we do, we just have a look at them. Any kids who meddle at them or show they have something when you're watching them, we will invite them then along to a talent development session. So we, for instance, every Wednesday, we hold a talent development sessions. And that's one in Glasgow, one in Edinburgh. And what we're doing now, twice a month, we're holding them in the north. So one will be in Aberdeen, one will be in Inverness. So these kids are invited along free of charge to go to these sessions. So that's how they, they get involved with the talent development. So we will put them on the talent development squad and they will start training and understanding what we're looking for in these sessions. And is that, you know, so where, when when they join you, what what are you looking at? How are you... When they come into you, say at the Grand Prix level, and let's say the aim is to get as many kids go into the GB Futures program in Japan at 18 or transitioning through to, to work with the higher level guys, what's your, how do you sort of think about developing them along that route? You know, well, well what we do, all, all the sessions, we work in three month blocks. So, Every three months, we we have different stages what what each coach will be working on. So, for instance, the first three months, at the beginning of every session for thirty minutes, we will work on a forward technique with two feet planted on the floor. So a tayatoshi, a sienagi. We we actually give the kids they're allowed to pick the technique they want to do. Hmm. But we'll go around and correct it and help them and we'll work on that for the first three months. The following three months, 
then we'll work on Niwazis. We'll work on a turnover, a couple of turnovers, and we will show the kids how to do it. We'll drill them and keep that over a three-month period. Then the next three months, it'll be transition, so the standing technique going into the Niwaza technique you've been drilling. So then we'll work on that. And then the last, the last three months will be like a competition-based. So now they're putting it into like a competitive thing because normally we're leading up to the British Championships anyway, so everything would be geared towards trying to have a good British Championships. And with this, like, I know it's always difficult when you have players coming in, you know, and visiting you because they won't spend most of their time with you, will they? They will spend most of their time actually back with their clubs. How how do you get the buy-in from the clubs? Say, for example, you you say everybody should be able to do, I'm going to just say Iponsi and Aggie, for yeah. example. Um but their coach may have something. How do you create that? Because that's not always an easy thing to do, is it? To create the buy-in from the coach as well, because that's where they spend most of their time. Yeah, that, that, that's true. That's, when, when I first took over the job, that, that was a hard thing. When, when we won the mat, you would only get one, possibly two coaches tied in with you. I, I, actually, I actually made an effort to go around and talk to all the coaches and, and get them on side. I, I remember... A guy I really respect, and you'll know him as well, Ramsey Thompson. Mm. And he gives me a lot of advice over the years. And the first thing he said to me, he says, get the coaches and the parents on side and your job will be easy. Mm. And that was, I always remember that. And I give that advice to all young coaches now who in the clubs or you're starting off in a national program, get the parents, get the club coaches on side, your job will be easy. And that's what I did. I went round to every competition. I, I visited a lot of clubs and I invited the coaches in. So I, I bring, like, for instance, on a national squad training weekend, I'll maybe have 10, 15 club coaches on that weekend with me. Now, I look after them. They get all the food paid for. They'll get the accommodation paid. I need them involved. I need them to upskill because what what you find with a lot of club coaches is they teach in the club, but they're not really interested anywhere else. So the focus is just on their club. And they don't really upskill themselves competition-wise, like going abroad and stuff like this, because the, the national governing bodies do that for them. So what I've done over the last 10 years, I try to invite a different coach every time I go abroad. <clears throat> Sorry. So that they gain an experience and then we can use them and they tie into it. So I actually visit a lot of clubs. I actually get a lot of coaches on board to come and help me. And I don't just get them standing about. If they turn up, they have a job to do. I expect them to step in and help kids and not just their own kids. And, and I found... This has helped a lot because now the coaches, in, I, I feel, the coaches in Scotland are a really high level at the moment. And it's because, and it's not just because of me. Don't get me wrong. It's not because of me. You are but, just saying that. Yeah. Saying so, so that, as I say, if any kids or clubs get good results, it is down to me. I'll take credit for anything. Anything. Good coffee, anything. But, <laughs> uh, no, it's... It's it's getting them club them club coaches tied in, and that's 
they feel welcome when they come to me. They, they feel welcome in my environment. And that's really important. So, actually, they turn up on a Wednesday night. They All these coaches come on the mat on a Wednesday night. So, they go back to their clubs then, and they start showing the same stuff or working on the same stuff. And what's important, I don't tell them what to teach. I give them the program and say, this is what we're working on, but it's up to you to put that into your session. Because I think the worst thing you can do as a coach is tell another coach how to coach. That gets you back up straight away. Now, if I say to somebody, right, I want you to go, if I say to a club coach, right, go away, and I want you just to teach Tai Toshi for three months. You know what? You're not going to get it. Now, if I said to a coach, listen, we're looking at a forward technique, two feet on the floor, it's up to you, choose it, blah, 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 go away and work on it. They'll do that because they have to think then. They have to plan the session. They have to work what techniques they're going to work on. They know what I'm looking for, and they'll work around that. And I find that side of it now. We have a lot of coaches in Scotland tied into the programme now. Just, as I say, all the top top clubs, all the top coaches who have players on the system. I, I can't think of one that doesn't actually tie into my programme at the moment. It does amaze me, actually, what you... Coaches are generally really, really great at talking to children, coaching the players, and the, but the second it comes to talking or coaching other players, so coaches in roles similar to yourself, they almost forget how to speak to other coaches because they, they do, you're right, start telling coaches, this is what we expect, this is what you should be doing. And coaches naturally go, well, who are you to tell me to do anything? You know, And there's a lot of coaches that will go, well, I've just got 10 players to this level and now you're turning around to tell me what to do. So actually that's a skill in itself, isn't it? Dealing with coaches. Yeah. One, one thing I did realise is I've over lockdown we've done a lot of looking at stats and things and I've been in this job now for 10 years and we've had for, for GB whether it's Cadet Europeans Cadet Olympics or the the future camp the GB future camp we've had 52 selections for GB over the last 10 years from Scotland which when you think how small Scotland is classed as a region, you know, but if you look at, and that, and that worked out, I think 29 players got selected 52 times in whether they went to two cadet Europeans or three or whatever. And uh, I can honestly say not one of them players went to that tournament because of Gary Edwards, not one. They went there because of the club coaches and the, the surroundings they've gone. All I'm there is, especially for get cadets under 18, I'm there to help. I'm there to give them the best opportunity to move forward. But actually, it's the club coaches who do the work. They're with these kids three to four times a week. I see the kids once a week, and I see them most weekends, say, if we're away traveling or we have camps. But I don't produce these kids. And I think, I think that's where a lot of people... A lot of people in my positions maybe get caught up with, well, I'm the national coach. I know everything. Actually, do you know what? We don't know everything. We know very little. And it's not about us. 
It's about the better the club coach is, the better the player will be. They get results. Do you know who gets the credit? Me. <laughs> hey, I hold my hands up and say, yes, it was all down to me. No, it wasn't. It was down to the club coaches and what they're doing with them players. But do you know what? If I can help them, if I can make life easier by putting some international training camps on, by putting the whole nation training camps on, then and week weekly sessions. Do you know what? That's what I'm there for. I'm there to help the clubs. It's it's not about me and my program. It's about me trying to help these club coaches to become better. Yeah, I suppose as well. It all all interlinks really because if you aren't able to sort of enable and empower those coaches to feel like they can do that there's going to be nobody coming onto your program exactly exactly these it's a with we over the lockdown i've identified a couple of young coaches now who i'm going to start bringing into the system as well uh, boys in the 20s who have stopped competing for one reason or another but they want involved and they've done all the coaching badges. And th- this is this is where it's really important to have that conveyor belt of coaches. Because when I when I look out now, there's very few young coaches out there who are really ripping. I'll put, I'm not just because you're on with me, but you're one of the young coaches coming through. You're one of the young coaches who over the last five, four, five, six years. I've seen producing players onto the GB team that I take away when we do uh, the Cadet Europeans or the Japan training camps. I've had some of your players. Well, when you when you look at most of the players who are coming away on these trips, all the coaches are in the 50s and 60s. Hmm. It's very, like, young coach, because obviously I'm in my 50s now, so, like, guys in the 30s and early 40s, I class as young coaches. But like I, I see yourself, I see Stephen Abley, for instance, in Wales now. I see guys like that. In Scotland, we have Colin Woods, who's a young coach who's really good as well, who's producing lots of players. But when, basically, when, when you look at most of the coaches who are producing the players, it's still the older coaches at the moment. And I think this is because... We've not educated our younger players. I, I think I'm just rambling now, but no, I, I think right. we, we go on about uh, when players leave, like when they retire, where's the pathway for them? And everybody jumps on the bandwagon and saying, oh, why did they not got a job in British judo or Scottish judo or this or that? Do you know why they haven't got jobs? Because there is no jobs. I just, I'm, I'm one of the fortunate ones who has a job. We're not a big sport. We don't have lots of money. But what I do believe we could do better is make a pathway for these players to help them open clubs and learn how to be coaches. One of my big bugbearers is, and and I think it's out there, a lot of people have done it, and I'm not saying that they're bad coaches or anything like that. I'm, I'm not saying that. But a top player will go into, say, a national job. But what experience have they got? Mm. And do you know I mean what experience have they got of dealing with kids, dealing with parents, dealing with club coaches? Nothing. See if you open a club and you run a club for five, ten years, 
I did it. When I stopped competing, I ran a club for 10 years. And it's, it's, it's your education. You should have to have an education of coaching before you can get a, a top job, in my opinion. Yeah, I, to be honest, I, I can't disagree with that. I think the, the issue would be, though, is British judo does um, surround itself with a free culture. So classes should be free. And how do coaches learn the business of running judo to be able to do that? You know, it's really difficult. If you've got young judo players, 20, 24, 25, 26, and they're, and they're thinking about retiring, and how do they earn their money? How do they turn it into a job? You know, and that was something I was really, because I stopped at 24 and I was really focused on how do I stay coaching and actually make it my living? So you almost on the flip side, need to teach judo players that you can make money and it's not a dirty word to make some money from it, setting up a club? Yeah, no. I, well, a, a bit a bit like yourself, I, I stopped competing in when I was 26, 27. And being in Scotland at the time, it was well, word or go because you had all these big companies like the, the Destination Judo Smart Prestons, you had the Billy Cusacks, you it, it was saturated. So I, I made a decision. I actually moved down to uh, Devizes in Wiltshire with Julian Davis and set up a, a judo business down there. And I stayed down there for about two years teaching judo, like in schools and stuff. Then uh, for one reason or another, me and my, my wife, we decided we wanted a family. And no disrespect to anyone from Wiltshire, but I couldn't have my kids saying, all right, my lovely... You know, I just, I, I, that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> the kids had to have a Northern or Scottish accent, and that was the bottom line. So we up sticks and moved back to Scotland, and I've done the same again. But I set up a schools business again in Glasgow and in around this area, but I've done it all by myself. Now, looking back, I, I had no education. I, was, I don't know about yourself. Into, I left school at 15 and went to Kendall. So and I came out of school with no exams, didn't even think about after due. So when it actually come and hit you, you're going, oh, my God, what do I do? I knew, yeah. I knew how lazy I was. I was never going to go and get a proper job. That was never on the cards. So I fell into the judo, the coaching, but I still had to go out and do it. I, I think what we have to look at is how do we make this easier for these players how do we set something up? So I don't know, there's some sort of course or an education that actually gives them a chance to understand how to go out into the big bad world and start. Because mm-hmm. you'll find this as well. Like you stop competing and then all of a sudden you've got to go into schools and talk to head teachers and you've got to sell yourself to open schools. Now mm-hmm. that's an art. That's not easy. Do you know what? That is not an easy thing of coaching schools and saying, I want to do judo in your school. It is. It's really difficult because I remember, I remember when I, I, very similar story. I left school at 16 with a couple of GCSEs, but I wasn't really that concerned about it because I knew I was going to go do judo. And in my head, I was going to be, you know, really, really good at judo, successful, earn loads of money, you know, and, you know, it was naive, naivety at the time, but, you know, it was something I wanted to do. And then at 24, that realisation of, 
it's most probably never going to happen like that. I mean, I was really fortunate in the fact that Campbell and Luke were so supportive of me and like helping me with my coaching. So I managed to move through the coaching levels, level two, level three. And I was fortunate that I generally would just say and try and black my way into things. So I just go, yeah, I'll do the master's degree. I'll do all this with no real clue of what it actually meant. And then, you know, the same and all that, but it's not, that doesn't necessarily come easy to everybody. And speaking to, especially like a lad from Portsmouth who doesn't speak, I live in Surrey now, which is quite posh, you know, and like my accent doesn't necessarily fit in. So that's why luckily for me, Sam's Sam's from around here and she can speak posh. So it's all right. But, you know, it is hard. It's really, it's a minefield of where do you go next? What is the next step? And you almost, I feel like, I would have felt if I had gone straight into a higher level coaching, I would have missed out on so much education. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, the, the dog's shouting in the background, so I was just closing the door a little bit. <laughs> no, I was saying something really important there, Gary, and then all I, looked, I could see is I looked up and I saw your backside. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so all I say was, yeah, I think... Uh, well, yeah, anybody yeah, who saw me five minutes would have only seen my backside anyway. It was all stuck in the earth. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so the education side, I feel like now actually I'm in a lot better place. But also I'm a lot more confident in my ability. So if I ever did go for a role uh, at a higher level, I'd be a lot more confident in what I could deliver and produce. Like if I said, I'm, I could guarantee that I could deliver this level of player with the, this in front of me you know and I'd feel because I've gone through a process of learning I'm only I've only been coaching for sort of six seven years as well so it's not like I've been coaching for 10 20 years yeah but I feel like I've gained that through this process yeah do you know what it's it's a typical judo thing we don't sell ourselves mm. judo, we undersell ourselves all the time in judo we're probably the cheapest martial art for classes were like you you talk like people always come out with stuff like oh you talk to somebody they go oh they were so humble they were so this they were so that and that is a judo thing we are humble we we even our champions don't sell themselves like you you would have been around plenty at Campbell I was around plenty in over the years in uh, Kendall and Edinburgh whatever and actually. It's like Graham Randall. Like Graham Randall was world champion. He was one. He was my training partner, and uh, he was a lot younger than me. But actually, he, you, off the mat, you you would not believe this guy was a world champion. Do you know what I mean? Because he was just, just one of the boys, and this and that. And even now, I, I get annoyed. As I spoke to Graham Randall last week or the week before, and I bring it up every time. I call him a disgrace, I shout at him, I, I, I'm so abusive towards him. Because nobody knows who Graham Randall is in Scotland anymore. Mm. Nobody. It, we don't sell people, we don't we don't promote them. Graham Randall's the only world champion we've ever had from Scotland. Mm. Yeah, he's, we never see him, on, we hardly ever see him on the mat anymore. It's only a big, big things we roll him out. And the kids on my programme, he was on one of my sessions uh, a couple of years ago that were held in large. And I said to all the kids, I lined them all up. It's about 70 of them. I said, does anybody know this guy next to me? I think five of them put their hand up. Five. 
And I looked at him and I said, that's your fault. I said, that's your fault for not promoting yourself, not going round, not visiting clubs, not doing... Do you know, it angered me, the fact we don't promote ourselves. Everyone spoke, look at the Muhammad Ali's and people like that, and everyone says, oh, but it was Muhammad Ali. Yeah, but do you know what? We, look at Craig Fallon. Craig was the most humble guy you'll ever meet. Mm. World and European champion. Do you know, you could sit in your company and you wouldn't even know he was there. He was so quiet. We, we, I think we have to sell ourselves. But that's an art. As you say, Vince, to come on something like this and talk like we're talking now, it's not easy. Mm. A lot of people couldn't do this. They'd have panic attacks. They would do whatever. But do you know what? It's an art. You've got to learn. And do you know what? You can learn to sell. Like, I know I've always been loud, so I've, I've never minded talking about myself and whatever. It's one of your skills, actually. Yeah. It, well, it is. <laughs> it is. The fact, if I'm in a room, I don't know if it's good or bad, but people know I'm in the room. Mm. It's funny, actually, talking about um, publicity and that. Uh, Sam and I, we just literally enrolled our son, Eric, into rugby. Little, you know, he's five years old. He turns up and you look around the field and you watch them all. And half the kids haven't got a clue what's going on. They're run by volunteers. The coaches, you know, they're doing their best. But, you know, if you turn up to any judo session... I guarantee what they're going to get on a judo mats can be much, much better. And I was saying, Sam, I said, look, judo doesn't have a problem with the product. It has, you know, a problem with actually publicizing it, about actually shouting about it and telling people. And that could be entrenched in our, you know, our moral code, the fact of humility and all this sort of stuff, yeah. showing respect, you know, and not blowing your own trumpet and stuff. But there has to be a point where actually we go turn around to people and say, judo is actually really good. You know, yeah. and actually, uh, we done um, a podcast with a guy about marketing and we put it out as a way of trying to give some ideas to clubs on how they can actually market themselves to get people through their doors. But, yeah, we don't have a product problem. We have a publicity problem. 100%. Yeah. yeah well, I know in Judo Scotland, the last couple of weeks, we've just took this. Um, we took a couple of people on who are doing our mass marketing and all our websites and that. And... Over the last 10 days, honest to God, that, that if you go on the Judo Scotland website, there's so much information. We're back, we're this, we're that. See, actually having people who know what they're doing, promoting you, you have a chance. You have a chance. But I also believe that's where Scottish Judo, British Judo, all of us could work as well. That, As you say, when these coaches are finishing, or when these players are finishing, sorry, that we have some sort of education to help them to, you know, as, as we point out earlier, to go into schools and be able to talk to a head teacher, to go on social media and promote themselves, to help them set up a club in their area. Do you know, these, these are things, if we're going to grow, if we're going to get our membership back and increase it, these are, I, th I think this is probably the most important thing. The Olympics and that getting results are great. It gives you initial boost if you get a medal at the Olympics. Do you know what? People see it on television for two or three months after you get a few members in. Do you know what? If you get ex-players setting up clubs, helping them to show them how to promote the clubs, promote themselves, go to talk to people. Do you know what? You don't know what the limit's going to be. It's thousands, do you know? It's, it's mm. really important. Really important. I... 
so when I remember when I, I was starting on some of the coaching courses when I was a bit younger and obviously because I was a bit younger I could do a bit of judo um I still remember there was definitely a stigma around like so I, I've spoken before about why they're not more high level coach uh, high level judo players doing coaching and you know what I found really common the amount of people that would turn around to me and say just because they're good judo players doesn't mean they're good coaches but I almost feel like you can be coached, like you you should be able to learn how to coach. Now, there's some skills that they might not find easy, like empathy and caring about other people, because as a high level athlete, you do have to be quite selfish. Yeah. So there are skills that they're not going to be as good at. But surely that's part of the learning how to be a coach. Like you should, you should learn those skills. And if they're not as good at empathy or, you know, uh, there, there's a few skills that they're lacking. Surely they could be paired up with somebody who can complement those skills. Definitely. But but once again, that's going back to the original thing is how do you learn them? Do you know what? You learn them by opening your own club, by dealing with people, by dealing with parents, by dealing with kids. And do you know what? Making mistakes. Hmm. If you don't make mistakes, you don't learn. It's it's like we live in a society now where, and, and I'm as bad as anyone, like when my daughters are going out, uh, where are you going? Keep your phone on, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I want you back at six o'clock because it's going to get dark. Oh, don't climb that tree, it's dangerous. Do you know what? When we were kids, we were trees falling out, breaking our arms, doing whatever. That's how you learn. We're actually stopping people learning these days by being too cautious. And it's the same with coaches. Do you know what? Let them make mistakes. Let them make mistakes. It's like Judo Scotland's just employed uh, Sally Conway. So Sally's come on as uh, one of the coaches now for the next two or three years, hopefully longer because she's phenomenal. Now, obviously, Sally's going to work with the higher, like the sort of junior stroke players going into under-23s and stuff. The first thing I asked is, please let Sally come into my programme. I want Sally to work in my programme, if it's possible, come away as much as possible, lead everything. And one person says, yeah, but don't forget it's her first time in and if, if she leads it, she might make a mistake. I went, good, then she'll learn from it. That's why I'm there. Do you know, if, if Sally came in and say, say she's doing accreditation or she's missed the name off or blah, 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 well, then I can step in and go, Sally, we've missed such and such. Then, do you know next time she won't make the same mistake? Just by the way, I'm putting it out there. Sally hasn't made a mistake yet. So let's just, Sally, if you're listening, you've not made a mistake yet. Don't panic. And you're already right off. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. But, do you know, for Sally now, it's a great opportunity in Judo Scotland to use her and get them to, to get, for me, Sally Conway could be an incredible coach. For me, we don't have enough female coaches, which you must know that as well. Like your wife must bang her head against the wall. There's no opportunities or not many opportunities at the moment for women coaches. Like for me, the at the moment, okay, she's a close friend of mine, but Chloe Cowan is an unbelievable coach. I actually watch her on the mat sometimes and think that was brilliant. The way she, she runs the mat, the way she deals with people and stuff, she's phenomenal. Really phenomenal. And actually, I was looking at Sally and I was thinking, 
do you know what? I think Sally could be better. Because one, a mannerism where she's always happy. She walks <laughs> yeah, in the room and she lights the room up with a smile. She's also the night. Do you know what? Sally can talk to parents. Sally can talk to kids. She can make people feel good about themselves. But do you know what? She also knows a judo. Mm. If, and I'm pretty sure she will, if she goes the right way, Sally Conway could be one of the best coaches you've ever seen. Because just because she has everything, the smile, she's got the track record of being a fantastic competitor, but she's a really nice person who consults people, and she's got everything all wrapped in one. I think Sally could walk in a room now and talk to anybody and not feel uncomfortable. That yeah. is an art. That's an art. That's that. That is what we need more of in British judo. We, we, we need these players, ex-players, to be able to walk in and just be able to talk to people. But they're going to have to be educated. Maybe that's part of coach education. That that we instead of showing them techniques or stuff like that. Do you know what? Maybe it's more important to get them doing social skills, talking to people. You know, put them in a room with strangers and make them start conversations. You know, silly stuff like this mm. will bring them out themselves. I suppose it's difficult as well because I know I feel most comfortable in a room full of judo people because I've done it all my life and like obviously full time. And we all we all have an associated language. So we all have shared experiences. We all have, we understand the game. And I feel very uncomfortable the second I'm around non-judo people. So with the even like the beginner parents and stuff, because what's acceptable to say in that scenario, you know, like, you know, because your social skills and it's a very different lifestyle, which people don't necessarily understand. And people at high level judo, that is their life for so long. And actually, it seems a really silly thing to say, but I, I, I do sort of understand what you're saying with that education of, surrounding yourself with I say in better comments like normal people you know yeah. where does that conversation go what does it look like um and it, it's I don't think it's to be laughed at or overlooked I know it most probably sounds a bit stupid saying it out loud now but yeah I think that's actually quite a very interesting point because maybe like I know when on some of the coaching courses they were they were they were talking about you know how to teach techniques and stuff where your elite players don't necessarily need that you know, they know judo, they understand judo, and they're pretty good at problem solving. So even if they struggle at the beginning to teach it to a beginner, they'll soon work it out. Maybe you're right. There is a need to then go, well, actually, this is how we run a business. This is how we talk to people. This is, you know, there's, but yeah, I think it could be something. Well, the, the thing about it, these coaching courses, and, and it, this sounds stupid, but and I'm not quite sure what grade you have to be to be a coach. I'm pretty sure it's first Q or something like that to be able to run a club or, or whatever. So first Q in the book. Well, actually, you shouldn't have to be shown technique because if you know your syllabus and you've passed your grades to get to that grade, you should know your judo anyway. So showing somebody a Tayatoshi or a uh, an Ouchi into an Uchi Mara or what? No, they should know that stuff. Being a coach is not... A small part is showing the judo. 
It's how to get your message over, which is the important bit. And that's the communication. Do you know what? We've all been on mats with people who've been brilliant, brilliant judo players. Oh my God. It's like watching paint dry. Do you know what I mean? And I won't mention names. <laughs> Go on. Well, funny that, you know, and people get bogged down with communication as in it's the, the thing I love about judo is the communication doesn't always just come from the words. Like I go every year, I'll go to um, go Sonoda's camp in Spain and go does speak English, but actually he communicates his judo through actual like the way he does it and like sounds and the enthusiasm because he's not always speaking the English. You don't necessarily always understand through throughout, but even when, if he's speaking Spanish or if he's shouting at his daughter in Japanese, you know, you still understand what he means. Yeah. It's passionate. We had Go and uh, Darcel Yanzi up on the gathering, uh, not last year, year before. And actually you couldn't have got two better, more passionate coaches and technically brilliant coaches ever do you know it, it, it it's like a two-hour session now you you've been there as well where i've been watching technical sessions where you're bored yeah absolutely do you know as a competitor i hated the technical side of it i love the fighting side of it but i remember watching them two at the gathering teach and the two-hour sessions flew by you did you don't even realise, you sort of, oh, my God, it's finished. I, I want more. And the best story I have is when Darcel was the national coach of uh, Scotland, he took the team over to France to do, to INSERF and do technical work with them. Well, we had a couple of cadets, and I had to fly the cadets over because they flew out later. And then I had to fly back the next day because I was – my job basically was just to fly these two people out and then come home and not stay for the week. And I remember my flight was about three o'clock in the afternoon and they were on the mat at nine o'clock for a technical. And I had to leave at half past 10 to catch the train. So I thought to myself, I'll watch 30 minutes, 40 minutes of Darcel's session. So I sat down watching it. And then the next thing he shouted, Mate, okay, everyone go get shot. It was half past 11. I missed my plane. <laughs> But two, two and a half hours went so fast that actually were I for technical session, I'll be bored after half an hour, I'll just leave and mm. go and have a coffee and then catch my plane. I actually missed my flight. Ended, yeah. up, ended up staying the full week, which the family wasn't happy about, but I had a great time. But, uh, <laughs> but a, a good coach who can, like both of them, they can communicate the passion on the mat. Mm. Do you know what? That is what you need to be a coach. You, if you watch them two, you can't go far wrong. If you if you can get within fifty percent of them two, you're going to be decent. If you can get in the same room or Darcel on the mat at any point close to when he's starting, is also pretty impressive. So, so I said, so I spoke to Darcel actually. I said, will he come on the podcast? And obviously he said yes, but actually pinning him down to come on is going to be another issue. So I, because Darcel coached at Cambly for a while as well. And I used to just go on and watch the sessions. And uh, a few years ago, we, um, 
me and Jonathan Percy actually, we had organized to go out to Courchevel for a training camp, but we were going to stop in Paris at his club to do some work with Darcel. So we, we drove through the night with a load of kids. We start, we got to Paris at like, I don't know, four or five o'clock in the morning. So we had a little kip and then we called Darcel, you know, we're ready. We're here for sort of three or four days before we go on to Courchevel. And uh, we got in contact with him and he was like, oh yeah, I'm not in the country. <laughs> I'm not, you didn't tell like, so he was just like, we're not, so we were stuck. So we had to try and organize. Luckily, um, the, the people in charge at his club were still around, but everybody else was on holiday. So they let us use the building, but we had to do our own sessions because Darcel wasn't there. Oh, well, Darcel lived with me for two years, right? So you've been to my house, you know, the, was the dojo there when you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that used to be a flat. So Darcel lived in the flat for two years. And because uh, oh, he's got parents to one of my children as well. So, but honest to God, it, some of the stories I could tell you, I, I think the best... People who know me know I'm... I'm probably not right in the head. But anyway, I, I do some silly things sometimes. So I was reading the Blitz magazine and I seen a ninja suit. And I thought, all right. So I phoned up and bought this full ninja suit. I thought it was great. So Dar cell phoned one night. He says, oh, I'm coming home, I'm coming home, uh, get the coffees on. So I put the ninja suit on and I sat in the garden. So it was pitch black, so I'm in the garden. So big hard Darcel with the big arms. I am French, I am the hardest man in the world. He come through the fence. Well, I've jumped out on him in this ninja suit. Oh. He screamed the highest pitch. He bolted over the fence and ran up the road screaming. <laughs> he never slept all night. He was shaking and everything. But, but th these were things that we always do with ourselves. Do you know what I mean? it's, uh, he used to do the same things to me. He used to sneak in the house. And me and the wife would be asleep. He'd throw buckets of water on us and then run off and you're going, it's three o'clock in the morning. What are you doing? But... And going back to the organization side of it, I, oh, how many flights did he miss? I had to pay for flights back, or guys, I'm stuck somewhere. I've had my car towed away. Do you know, stuff like that, and you have to pay the fine. Just, but I will, uh, I will get him on to sort of answer these things. <laughs> He's got a chance to reply because it won't be his fault. But in, in all, apart from that, probably is the best coach I've ever seen in my life. Mm. My opinion, the best coach I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I, I, I think as well, isn't it? Like the idea with coaching isn't just about teaching judo, is it? It's about inspiring as well. And as a coach, there's been a few coaches that I've stood on the mat and felt like, oh, blimey, I want to get back in and learn more, you know, yeah. and that's a really, really important skill. Whether you want them as your team manager or, you know, you don't stick yeah. them in those roles then, I guess, at that no. point, do you? you know, you get them to do the job that they're good at and that's teaching judo. Darcel's a coach. He's a judo coach and that's it. If you use Darcel as a judo coach, you've got the best coach in the world. Mm. That's the bottom line. And uh, he's phenomenal. And so over sort of over these last year, how tough has it been for you within your role? Because obviously nobody's been on the mat, you know, 
what's it been like for you trying to get some sort of um, judo ready? Like, where is it? What's the plan now for you moving forwards? Uh, I have to say that the last year has been the hardest year of my life. I've been involved in judo for what, 45 years? And it's the first time I've never had a judo suit on in a year. Mm. It just, it, like, up till Christmas, up to New Year, it was horrendous for me because I, Judo Scotland put me on furlough straight away. So I was on furlough and just, you, you're talking about a person who, the last 10 years, well, the last 20, 30, 40 years, has been going away a lot. So I average about 100, 105 days away a year from my family in this job. Mm. Now, from being away for 105 years and then being in the office or being on the mat or being down at competitions as well, which is to all of a sudden being in a house and not allowed to go out and stuff, it, it was... I, I struggled. I, I, I could stand in and say, no, I was fine, I was fine. No, I missed judo. I'd, yeah. I didn't realise how much judo was in my life. And the problem was, I was put on furlough in the March. Well, by the end of June, I'd done my programme for 2021, 2022. I'd done my budgets for them years. I'd done the tournaments for them years, not even knowing if there was tournaments on. I had nothing else to work on. I, there was no competitions going on either, so I couldn't go online and watch tournaments. I started watching old video, old DVDs and stuff in judo. It was, it was horrendous. But the start of the year, I got more positive. Do you know when I knew the vaccine was out and stuff? So Judo Scotland brought me back one day a week and we've been working with the camps. And actually, in, this week is when we're, we're back now. All clubs and under-18 judo in Scotland's back this week. So I'd already got everything planned, all my sessions, all my clubs, uh, the area sessions, all my camps for the rest of the year where we're going to have them and stuff in Scotland. And it's it's like a breath of fresh air, you know. It's it, it sort of gave me a new lease of life of, I want to do this, do you know. This, this is the sport I love. This is the sport I want to do. It's difficult, isn't it? Like, I think... Especially with you, like when you're full time and stuff, when training all the time and you work, I think judo coaches are pretty hard working as a just as a trait. And generally, like people would think, oh, you you got time off of work, you've got the headspace. And especially, you know, if you were furloughed, you weren't necessarily worried about uh, earning your money. But actually we don't necessarily do judo because of money or anything. It's just because we love the sport. And actually the hard work's actually the bit that's enjoyable, getting on the map, doing the training, the different stimulus. So I know for myself, it was different because I still had to run a business and still keep my judo club running. Yeah. But I just missed it. It wasn't the hard, I just missed being on the mat. I missed teaching the way that we teach and fighting. And you know, it was really tough. Yeah, it's... You, you can't you can't explain, can you? you can't really, it's like I I well I watched uh, some of your stuff. I watched some of well I was watching everybody's stuff, and I was actually really jealous because you guys were still doing stuff like the Destination Boys, like Colin Woods and all that. Were were putting all some fantastic videos out, the Brian Longs and Lee Calder and all Stuart what 
everyone was doing stuff for the clubs and and I know they weren't enjoying it, but let's let's not kid ourselves. You you're all doing these these live blogs and stuff and the sessions, but it's not judo. It wasn't judo. And I, I was actually going, I was jealous because I couldn't do anything. And one reason in Scotland is we we have good clubs up here. So you have your destinations, you have your pro judos, you have your uh your big league holders and, and your Stuart Watts and Rab Ingalls and people like that. And they were like flooding everything with their stuff. So they were doing all these sessions, but they were opening up to everybody so everybody could join in. So for me to run a similar session was pointless. Mm. You know, it was sort of going, well, I know England were running their sessions, like running some sessions and stuff. And somebody said, well, England are running sessions. And I went, well, when could I do it? Because Monday's the night, Tuesday's the night, Wednesday's the night. Every night was taken up with these sessions. So I would have had to step on the foot of some club to do it. And I just thought, I was just left in limbo. I was just left in limbo, I was thinking. And even uh, a lot of the time I would I would go on a FaceTime where the foreign coaches, say the Italians or the Germans or the French or the Belgians, when they were taking sessions. And they would just put the phone at the side of the mat so I could watch them take sessions. <laughs> so some days I was just sat watching a, a session in Naples or in Torino or somewhere like that, and just watching them take a session, just so I felt part of it. It's crazy, isn't it? Absolutely yeah. crazy. Yeah. And do you think now you're in a better place? How quickly do you think you can get kids ready to be... Obviously, we don't know about global travel, but at least get kids ready to start competing, being part of the program, you know, back up to where we sort of were. Like, would the British Championships be, in your mind, something that's possible this year? Yes. Yes. Um, I honestly believe competition judo will be back in Britain September, beginning of October. I have no doubt it'll be back. I am quite a positive person as it is, but... I. I do believe competitions, and like I've looked at some of the calendars and some of the calls I've been on is there is going to be competitions in September, October. The British Championships will take place in December as normal. So I, I think we will be up and running by then. So that's all my plans now. Are, what, what, what we've looked at with Scotland, what I've said is, so we're back now. So basically the beginning of May, say, is when all my sessions start. Now, I'm looking for six to eight week sessions. And actually, the reason I'm doing the sessions, they're not going to be like the old days of just hundreds of randoring. So actually, it's to bring the kids back together, socialising and getting to know each other again. So probably for the first six to eight weeks, my sessions are going to be steady, but it's about actually the kids coming back into judo, getting to know the friends again, getting to know their opponents and and just stepping in nice and lightly. So probably till, as I say, end of June, we won't be doing anything too hard. I just want all the kids back on the mat and loving judo again, enjoying themselves. Hmm. It's too easy, isn't it? I, once you're in the thick of competition schedules and that, it's too easy to forget actually to remind the kids why they do judo and why they love it. And I th that was definitely something that I thought about when we were returning, like 
that's what I want the kids to do. I want them to realise what they've missed. Yeah. You know, and they need to be back. Do you know what? We, I've, I've booked Kendall for the end of July and I'm taking my whole squad down there. And the reason is, uh, Lippy will kill me for this, the accommodation might not be the best at Kendall, right? But what I love about Kendall is all the kids at night times or whatever, they sit on the mat and they talk. And they mix and mingle with each other, right? See, see, when we go to Largs or we go to Tully Allen, where I normally have squad trainings, the kids are pampered a bit. They all have their own rooms, televisions in, and stuff like that. There's not much mixing, you know. A group will stay with, they'll all stay in the couples in the rooms and stuff like that, and not much mixing. When you go to Kendall, first thing Lippy does is get rid of the Wi-Fi, turns the Wi-Fi off, so they can't go on the phones. And actually, yes. You see 40, 50, 60 kids having a laugh, joke, playing games, throwing the ball at each other. Do you know, that's why I take my squad to Kendall twice a year. It's actually to bond. And it's it's brilliant for me. And that's why my first my first squad training back with the Scottish team is going to be at Kendall because of that. Because I know Kendall's so good for bringing them together and for them all to mix together. It's brilliant. Because you used to train full-time at Kendall, didn't you, as well? Not at this yeah. new version. You were when it was at the old club, weren't you? Well, well, I, I was at McConnell's house originally. I was... You had the original boys, like the Neil Eckersley's, Cal Finney's, Mark Adsett's, all them type of guys. And then in 19... End of 1984, I moved in with them. Uh, <laughs> it was a funny story, I said. I'd signed a YTS form for Everton. In, in them days, you had a youth training scheme. And so the club didn't have to pay you. It was like a pro-youth form. I went, signed for Everton. So my dad says, oh, I'm going to send you to Kendall for two weeks, to McConnell's house, just to get your fit and stuff ready. And you're talking, as a cadet player, I was I was useless. Talking, I'd never even took a Northwest medal at the time. So I, in them days, you had to have a medal at, at your area championships to go to the... British under-18s. Yeah. So it was 8 to 18 years in them days. There was no cadet, pre-cadet or whatever. It was just one age band. I never ever qualified, ever. So my dad says, oh, we're sending you to Kendall for two weeks. And I went, ah, okay. So I went to McConnell's house. And as you know, it was hell. I hated every minute of it. There was no heating. You had you running 5, 10 miles every single day. The boys battered me and... So I remember going down to the post box, which was about 200 metres away from his house. Phone and my dad said, when you come again, we went, will you not, you stay. And that was it. I wasn't allowed home. And then McConnell turned around and says, all your family are alcoholics and stuff, so we're not letting you home. So I think I was allowed home two weekends or three weekends in the first year I was there. And it was just, I hated every minute of it. And then we, I got into it a bit. And even the last, the, the following year, where I was 16, I never qualified, 16 going on 17, I never qualified for the under 18 again. I was full time and I couldn't even take a medal at Northwest Open or Northwest Closed. So my dad took me down to watch it in the November at Crystal Palace. And then McConnell entered me in the juniors under 21s in the December and I won them. So it wasn't good enough to fight the under-18s. Won the under-21s. And then within two years, 
had a junior European medal and top seven at the senior Europeans while I was still junior. It, it was a mental ride that Kendall. Do you know it was? It was just looking back on it, I hated it at the time because I was there for six years, like full time. But looking back on it now, actually, it was the best time of my life. It was the best time of my life. You do get that. I don't know what the right word is, but almost, I know as a judo player, I remember looking back at some of the stuff that we'd done at Cambly and the harder it was and the worse I felt at the time, the more I look fondly back at it. Does yeah. that make sense? Do you know what? It makes you the person you are today. That Kendall shaped me to be the person I am today. It's like, from the age of 12, McConnell had these... We, the Kendall... Northwest team used to go up every second or third weekend and do a weekend with the full times. And they used to batter us, McSorley, Shields, they used to batter us. But we, we sort of got educated on that from the age of 12 going up. So when I went to 15, do you know what? I was used to the beatings and it was normal. And then, and, and it continued the, do you know where I, I got a bit better and I kept getting a bit better. So then I could hold my own and then, Obviously, I was the one who was smashing the younger ones and stuff then. Do you know it was that? It was great. It was great when I used to be able to smash people. It was <laughs> yeah. a good old days. But that's what I've tried to bring in to Scotland a bit. Were, what, battering young children? Well, I try, I try <laughs> not to do that these days, right? <laughs> <laughs> I try and take that out of, out of it. But meant. I give them a lot of volume over a weekend. So a normal weekend at Tully Allen for us is Friday night, they'll do two hours around Ori. Saturday morning, they'll do seven to eight Niwaza. Then they'll do 10 to 12 around Ori. Then they'll do half past one till half three around Ori. Then they'll do seven till half eight around Ori. Then the next morning, Sunday morning, they'll be back on the mat. They'll do Niwaza again, seven till eight. Then they'll do 10 till 12, Grand Ori, and finish. So they do some, like, I batter them for Grand Ori over the whole weekend. And it's it's not the, it's not, I'm not looking for them to be fantastic and throw everybody, but it's a mental thing. I want to see them get stronger and stronger mentally and be able to take the volume. It's about the volume, you know, and... If I see a kid struggling on the first session or second session, I'll say, right, you sit the third one out. And then they'll come back on the next session. But see, next time they come, you always see them. I'm not sitting out this time. And they'll do an extra session. And that's how we do it. From the age of 12, 13, 14 in Scotland, we bring them into these hard sessions, but we'll monitor them. So they might only do two full sessions over the weekend and the rest just half sessions. But you know what? You build it up. So when they're 15, 16, 17, do you know what? No, we hardly have any kids sitting off. I think when when we first took off, we used to have like maybe 15, 20 kids at the side with ice packs on the shoulder or the knees or whatever. See, we have four kids off the mat at the end of a weekend now. I'd be surprised because they're used to the volume because we've built it up over the years. But we've done it cleverly where, as I say, I don't expect a 12, 13, 14-year-old to train like a 16, 17-year-old. So we monitor them and they'll say, right, you've had enough now. It's like a couple of girls fell out with me in Germany a few years ago. Uh, I took them on the 
the cadet camp in Berlin. And uh, these two girls, they were only first-year cadets, and they'd done the first session, done the second session, and you could see on the third session they were getting tired. So I said, girls, go and get changed, get ready for tomorrow. I'll tell you what, the abuse these two girls gave me, I was unbelievable. If you know Glaswegian girls, they... they the P's and Q's are not always the best, right? And these two young girls were like, oh, if looks could kill. And so I sat them down and says, girls, I'm doing it for your benefit. No, you're not doing it for our benefit. You're holding us back. You're holding us back. And I went, no, I'm not. See, the next session, they were fantastic. Session after that, they got tired again. I took them off. Then the next day, they were good again. And it was only about a week later, one of them approached me and went, actually, I know what you were doing now. Like, we were getting battered at the end, so you didn't want us to get battered. And and the kids sort of understand now in Scotland what we're looking for out of them and what they can do. It's not a case of you do it all or you're lazy. It's, you know what, do as much as you can, and each time try and do a little bit more. And it seems to be working in Scotland at the moment anyway. We seem to have a setup that I'm quite happy with. Yeah, I think, especially with... Um players that sort of approach you and say oh, I would like to be better I'd like to you know fight internationally I'd like to you know make the British team go to youth Olympics all this sort of stuff when they sort of make that decision you have to expose them a little bit more to what judo really is and it's a really hard fighting sport isn't it yeah. and I think the one thing that I always look for is uh, I call them like breakthrough camps. There'll be certain camps where I'll take them to where I know they're most probably not good enough for, they're most probably going to take a bit of a batter in. But the idea of the breakthrough camp is the fact that they have the breakthrough in their head that they realize they can survive. And they don't necessarily need to win or do anything. They just need to get to the end of the camp and go, that was really hard, but I'm all right. <laughs> I could do it. I could get through it again. And, I, and for me, once they go through that, they're ready. They're then ready to push on and do what you need to do and then be, you know, push on with the technique, the pat, you know, everything that's required after that point. But until you have that come to Jigoro moment where you're like, this is what judo really is. If you want yeah. it, this is what it is. But you've got to make that decision. So I can't do that for you. Do, do you know which camp I use for that? I, I'm, I'm the same as you. And it's Strasbourg. Mm. Yeah, I've done Strasbourg before when I was a kid. It was solid. It's it's the hardest camp for cadets and under 21s in mm. for me in Europe I know uh, Bremen's a fantastic camp right yeah Bremen is up but for me Strasbourg is just a camp and you know what I always say to the kids don't care if you throw anyone don't care if you get thrown blah 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 it's it's about mental this is for you now to be mentally strong enough to mm. take this camp for the week yeah, and it was funny because I was talking about it. I was uh, I was at the National Judo Academy yesterday in Edinburgh, and Neil McDonald and some of the older boys were just finishing the preparation. They're doing Croatia, and uh, they said, "So, guys, what, what's your next one back for the cadets?" And I went, "Oh, I says probably the first one is probably Strasbourg. If we can get out to Strasbourg, that'll be the one." And Neil McDonald and all that just went, "Oh God." And then Neil went, do you know what? I'd still love to do Strasbourg. It was fantastic. Mm. And that's a senior, a, t a top, top player, still wanted to go back to Strasbourg because it was yeah. that. Well, I remember the year I went, uh, Teddy Reiner for Marais, Cyril for 
um there was a, a lad senior 73 Ramil or something like it was really good like it was literally it just rammed and that's where all their top players would go yeah you know to do it it was really really good camp so we've um I suppose are you guys thinking in your head now about the Commonwealths as well yes that in the back of yeah. your mind like, yeah that's not the back of the mind that's at the front right now that's uh I think I think which what we're struggling is because so many tournaments are off, there was all plans are getting changed all the time. So what we set as our criteria for the Commonwealth Games has been thrown out the window now to a certain extent yeah. because after tournaments are not there anymore. But I I think this weekend Croatia's the first I'm pretty sure, don't pretty sure that's one that goes towards the Commonwealth selections, you know, these type of events now. And how much, because obviously it's in Birmingham in 2022, the British National Centre is yeah. in Arsenal. How much is Scotland thinking they'd really like to give it to England to, to actually like try and top the medal table? It's going to be difficult because of the volume, but do you well, guys think you could do the medal table? Well, actually, we, we don't see England as the biggest danger. <laughs> we think Canada is the biggest danger now. Well, that's if they are they going to bring a proper yes. team over? I've been told. I've been told it's part of their criteria now. Really? Because obviously we know yeah. how strong Canada is, and if they did, exactly. they've not really treated it as as a proper event before, have they? No, but I've I've been told that the government and that have said right, it's part of your criteria. You must put a full team in. So I've wow. already I've looked at the 66, 73, 81, 90s, hundreds. There were two girls at 57, so 52, the 63 girl, they could have eight gold medals. Mm. They could have eight gold medals. So I think I think Scotland and England have got bigger fish to <laughs> stop looking at each other. I think we've got to look at the Canadians. Well, you know what? I hope they do bring them over. Like, not because I want England or Scotland to lose, but just because I think it'll improve the tournament. Oh, 100%. I, you, you're telling me you don't want, like, all these players, like the 81 boy, uh, whatever he's uh, the French sounding one, is it? Yeah, yeah. Antoine, yeah, uh, yeah, Valon, yeah. Valon, Valon, like but you want guys like that, you want Gayers at 100 kilos, you, you want the, 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 the 57 girls coming over and stuff. The only thing is, I think Britain has some good 57 girls, even if say Nakoda, I know she's pregnant at the moment, but when. Say Nakoda come back, so you'd have Nakoda from England, you'd have Lily, you'd have Achelia, just the English three girls who were all top girls, right? Then we've got Josie Steele, we've got Marlene Wilson, who are two, two top girls. Do you know what? It doesn't matter. They've got, Camden got number one and two in the world. In the world, yeah. Our, our girls might be fighting up between each other just for a bronze medal. Do you know they're that strong? Yeah, and because they're, they're having their fight off to go to the games, aren't they, if the games go ahead? Well, they've changed. It's the, the Because they couldn't have the fight off, I read the article last week, it's all down to the World Championships now, whoever does the best at the Worlds. That's a good problem to have, isn't it? Number one and two yeah. in the world, fighting off at the World Championships. But yeah, I tell you what, I never, I didn't realise that they were possibly coming over for that, and that would be immense if they did. I'm hoping that uh, British Geo might sort me out of like a guest pass or something for the week, so I can. <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm always, 
I'm, I'm already badgering the chairman and everyone else in Judo Scotland for VIP pass. <laughs> I want the full shebang. For Glasgow, because uh, you, you let me and Sam stay at your house, didn't you, for Glasgow? Yeah. No, no, you just turned up. Yeah, we, yeah, we did. There was a tent in the gap one day. <laughs> I really enjoyed Glasgow. I really like, I think judo really misses a beat in this country of just turning it into a good event, a judo tournament as a good event. It's, it, it's generally set up a judo tournament for the referees. It's not set up for the spectators, the parents, the, the people to get behind it and actually, you know, really enjoy it. Well, I. Like Sam, I fought in the 2002 Commonwealth Games. That was like my final. I, I came back. I've been out of sport for four years and then came back just to, because the only tournaments I never actually got to fight was the Olympic Games. So I'd never walked around the stadium. So when the Commonwealth was in Manchester in 2000, I sat down with Nigel Donahue at the time, who was a performance director at Judo Scotland. And I said, listen, I'd like to have a bar. She went, well, Okay, no problem. And I came back and I managed to qualify. I didn't have the best. Anyway, won't even go there. But <laughs> the experience and the crowd in Manchester was phenomenal. Mm. Then when we went to Glasgow, when it was back in the games, you were there yourself. Mm. If you've been to a better tournament, I, I don't mean the level of judo now. I'm talking about the atmosphere, yeah. the way it was run. The, the, the whole city was alive. If there was a better tournament ever I'd be surprised because it was phenomenal in Glasgow absolutely and plus the fact Scotland done really well which was great but I'm, I'm really looking forward to next year in Birmingham or Coventry wherever they do because I, I just think the British public do love a tournament yeah they love a tournament I think it'd be great and I'm not uh, too shameless to say I will take any free VIP passes to, to the games because I, I, I want to be there. But yeah, no, I'll, I'll definitely be trying. I'm actually really looking forward to the games being in Paris as well, the Olympic Games, you know, just over the road, really. Well, I'm just talking, I don't even talk to me about the Olympics. Me and uh, 10 friends, we saved for the last four years for Tokyo, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> We are currently go suing the a company who booked our flights because they're refusing to give us our money back for last year. No. Honestly. No. So we're just hoping now that we get the money for the tickets back because we all had tickets and the tickets were a £1,000 a pop wow. each. But what we're going to do is just put that in the pot and then save for Paris then. So, yeah. yes, I will be doing Paris. Two places, Tokyo, Paris, couldn't think of a better place to go watching judo. Well, that was luckily, uh, before the world went into lockdown, we managed to get to the Paris tournament in 2019, uh, no, 2020, before we went in lockdown. And it's just such a good tournament, isn't it? It's so good. Yeah, anybody who loves judo and never been, we took parents that kids are like, just started judo, like eight years old. Like we took them out there and they loved it. It's so good, isn't it? Oh, I'd... The, the biggest compliment I can give it as a, as a player, I fought it twice and I fought the Worlds in Japan in 95 and I fought the Europeans in different places. Fight, I fought the old Kubatan, so I didn't fight the Bursi. For me, fighting at the Kubatan at Paris tournament was a highlight of my career. Mm. Having that atmosphere, having the French public who were crazy, 
it was just the best tournament ever to fight in. It, for me, uh, fighting the Worlds and stuff was fantastic, being representing Britain in the Worlds, and, but actually fighting at the Coubertin in Paris was just... That's a one memory in my life I'm, I take with me from a judo. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, I imagine... I, well, I can't imagine. Actually, I fought Junior Leon when that was about, yeah. and that was amazing. That was, stadium was packed when I was, and that's under twenties. So I couldn't imagine what it's like going in at a senior level. Yeah, so that, one, that was some event as well. That was a fantastic event. I went watching it one year. Junior Leon, yeah, it was yeah. tough, really tough. It was a great event, but yeah. So I'm looking forward to those. A couple of good events. I wish. I wish we did. I think. I guess it goes down to what we were saying earlier about publicity and stuff. I wish people could, because once you get a bit of atmosphere in a stadium for judo, it's really good. Like I had Luke in. I spoke to Luke on the podcast, and we talked um, about the Ashes event that Cambly runs. Yeah, and that is done in a five-star hotel. It's like a free-course dinner with like business people, people who've never been involved in judo, but it's against. Obviously, we've been against Scotland. We've been against lots of teams. Uh, but people who don't do judo, they enjoy it. Like they manage to have a meal, have a nice glass of wine, and yeah. watch people have a scrap in the middle. It's really good. And I think yeah. if it's done right, like the Bundesliga, that's always, you know, always gets good crowds watching that. No, it's, uh, uh, going back, we, we need to build a club system up again because how many clubs could actually put a team in? Like, say we had a Bundesliga, how, how many clubs could. I go back to this. We have conversations all the time, probably yourself. And How many clubs in Britain have 10, 15 black belts on the map from the age of 18 to 25? Yeah, very few. You know what I mean? So, I suppose, though, you could argue, like, I, I'm not... So I've been quite open with the fact that I don't for many reasons I, I don't think really centralization works in regards that you pull everybody in but your coaches but where does everybody else come from so I I like the idea of having lots of regional centers like lots because that way you got more work for coaches you know when we were talking about coaches that are 20 years old what work do they do if you've got lots of different centers well, they can serve apprenticeships under high level coaches. You can keep more players in and then you could build a team, you know, a team competition. You know, if you had six centres in across England, Scotland or Wales, as a starting point, you would have six places that would need coaches filled. You would have opportunities for players to progress through. And you actually, you could have each centre operate in like Scotland's you know, bringing everybody involved in that area rather than a, a deselection where actually it's a, it takes people out of the equation. Yeah, yeah. I'm a... The centralised programme, say, so I, I am in favour of it in, in a way, but, but I have different ideas how... See, these centres you're talking about, I agree with them. I think... The Camblies, the Baths, the Wales, the Scotland, the maybe a, one in the northwest and stuff. We the, we should have strong centres like this, but we still should have a centralised, a bit like Inset. Do you know? I know everything's based around Paris anyway, so they can go in and then go back to the clubs. But uh, but we haven't got the volume because at the end of the day, British Judo. I I, I don't know the funding for British Judo. 
Well, they can only afford so many players to go in that centre, for instance. Mm. So I don't know how many players. Say there's 15, 20, 25 players. Surely we've got more than 25 players. So uh, is there, could there be any funding? I don't know. Could there be any funding to say, do you know what, Cambly? There's 100 grand a year. Bath, 100 grand. Everyone does 100 grand to look after your centres and your players. Mm. Do you know what? The majority of money's coming to the... The main hub. Yeah. But do you know what, guys? Luke, there's a hundred grand. Spend that on the players to get them up to the level and blah blah blah. So players can come into these hubs and train. The it's like there's plenty of players who haven't gone to uh Walsall, but are top top players. Yeah. But I suppose you like going back to it though. By having more centers, you have the ability to train more high-level coaches. And, and that's the key for me. I think people have it backwards yeah. in regards of it's just talking about the players. But if you have more opportunities for coaches to improve, for coaches to understand how to run centres on how yeah. to run, yeah. you're not going to tell me you're going to get a young coach, 20, 24, 25, and think, right, well, I've learned from this coach. Uh, so you say, for example, like me, I've been really lucky to learn from Luke. But also I'm thinking about, well, how do I open up my own set? Like, and it naturally, because of the ambition of, I always felt like that I've got a lot to give to judo still. I never reached my full potential on the mat. So maybe I can do that in my coaching. Yeah. You know, by having more options, more centers, you can empower a lot more coaches to go off and actually, you know, produce a lot more people, you know, doing judo. Yeah. yeah. No, no. But, but once again, I think, I think, you know what? You've seen the GB underground. You've seen all this where people, everybody's throwing mud at everything, and that's all right. Do you know what? Let's all get around a big table. Let's just all sit around the table and get this sorted, and and and, and not leave until we have a plan. Yeah. I'm quite happy to sit around and argue my case, and mm. and talk and listen. And do you know what? There's there's a lot of good people out there. There's a lot of great people who and not getting involved for one reason or another. We need to be, we're not a big enough sport to have the best coaches on the outside. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's it's like, one of the things is like, uh, Vincent will say, oh, like, I don't I don't think many people would com would complain if people said, right, this, say the two best coaches in Britain at the moment or two, uh, two of the top coaches in Britain are probably Luke Preston and Billy Cusack. Who are not involved in Walsall? Mm. Well, my argument is, did any of them go for the job at Walsall? No. So, Joe, you know, the coaches who were in Walsall are there because they applied for the jobs and they were the best people for them jobs at the time, right? So, I've gone on record as saying, that for me, Jamie Johnson, for me, Jamie Johnson's one of the best coaches out there. I, I, I love Jamie. I think he's great, and I think he's a good coach, really good coach. Now, do I think Luke Preston's a good coach? Yeah, I think Luke's a good, great coach. Do I think Billy's a great coach? Yes, I do. I think Billy's a great coach. But unless they throw the hat and apply for them jobs, they can't work in the centre. Mm. It's like... I suppose that goes down to the argument, though. Did they want to work it? You know, yeah. you know, Billy's yeah. got Edinburgh and Luke's got Cambly and you're, they're two massive institutions in British judo. Exactly. You know, so by doing that, you're basically saying, 
all right, you're going to collapse Edinburgh, you're going to collapse Cambly. Yeah. And then, but then when, where does all the other players come from? But, you know? but what you just said is, uh, 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 jumping on the back of the, you said, a young coach like yourself was working under Luke. So say Luke had gone for the Walsall job, right? And got the top job. Well, that means you move into Cambly then. So that's you then running that centre. Do, you, do you know, just saying. I'm, I'm, yeah, potentially. I mean, that wouldn't, you know, at this period of my life, that wouldn't necessarily work. No, no. But, no. Um, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but it's still, there needs to be some sort of formalisation of structure of how this works. You know what I mean? Like, and for me, there's no disadvantage for having more centres. No. Only, it only strengthens it. Totally agree. Totally agree. That would be my my personal thing on it. I think the more centres, the more ability to generate revenue, the more ability to create team tournaments, the more ability to produce more players, the more... The more Randori, the more... Exactly, yeah. So that's for me. I, I feel like, as you said, for a sport that's so small, you know, I think our participation was like 30,000 or something, which is tiny numbers, yeah. to then condense it to even smaller with then very little avenues of growing it outside of that. That that was, for me, always the issue on that. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But, no, I agree, but I, going going back to the point about the centre and stuff, I, you, you see a lot of people slagging the coaches in the centre. And it's one of my bugbearers that, Actually, you can't slag them. They went for the jobs. They got the jobs. Mm. And they were the best people for the jobs. Like, they all know the judo. Like, whether it's Colin Oakes, whether it's Jamie Johnson, whether it's Dennis Stewart, these guys have all been about. We've got the T-shirts. You know what I mean? You, whether people are saying they're as good as Luke Preston or Billy Cusack, I don't think they... And maybe, I don't know if they would, but maybe... They, I don't know if they'd say they were better than them. Mm. But well, they went for the jobs. They went for the place, you know. And, and but that's centralized program again. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. As I say, I do believe we need a centralized program. But I also agree with you that we need to expand it and get more things going as well to increase judo. Yeah, and I'm key. Like I said right from the outset with all of my podcasts, that I don't necessarily want this to be a bashing of anybody. And I think it's just important that there are discussions around judo yeah. for the judo community because there's lots of people that just don't know. You yeah. know, there's plenty of people who just don't know. And uh, yeah, I for ultimately for me, I just want judo to be thriving in Britain. I want us to be one of the best judo nations in the world. So yeah, it comes from a good place, I guess. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm saying I just, do you know what? I I didn't think I, I was always quite selfish when I was a player, and, and like if I if I went out, I wanted everyone else to go out. If mm -hmm. I won a medal, if I won a gold, I didn't want anyone else to win a gold. <laughs> if I won a silver, I only wanted them to win a bronze. Do you know? I was like, but now I find myself getting really upset when GB athletes get beat. Mm. See, when you're watching tournaments or you're watching tournaments and somebody gets. I hate it. Yeah. It actually really affects my arms. Mm. You, you want them to win so much. Yeah, definitely. Well, Gary, thanks, mate. I really appreciate you spending the time to talk to me today. Uh, it's been really good. Thank you, Vince. And hopefully I'll see you soon. Oh, yeah. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> and there we are at the end of episode 10. And big thanks to Gary. That was, I enjoyed that. 
it went on for some time and I don't know if you guys listen to it in one go or break it down into a couple of bits and pieces but once I'm sort of talking about judo it's really difficult to stop talking and you know I hope regardless of whatever wherever you're listening this listening to this podcast from or you know your involvement in judo you you find some interest I think towards the end there I said I I just think there needs to be more conversation about judo and I think the that's a way that we all improve our understanding you know getting people together coaches together and talk about different things you know is there anything you guys would like me to talk about with anybody in particular um you know, lots of people suggest I'll maybe interview this person. There's lots of people I've got in the pipeline, but sometimes nailing coaches down to actually sit down and talk about things can be quite tricky. Um, but also like topics of talking about things. Um, you know, I was really interested then, we went off, I didn't really expect to talk about coaching coaches, but I found that quite interesting. Gary's been in that role for a very long time now. And I would say that's most probably one of his biggest jobs is actually working with other coaches and to do that well is really important at that level um so yeah so really really interesting that side of it um i suppose a couple of things before we go um there within british judo they do this uh program called dice uh which is a diploma in sporting excellence i think it's broken down to um, but essentially if you're 16 to 18 years old and you're involved in judo you enjoy judo you can basically go into it um, basically study judo at a center and get some qualification points to UCAS uh, actually I've said that I'm doubting myself whether they've changed the rules on that now but anyway uh, I said I would do uh, a little shout out for that. So Cambly Judo Club, obviously there are other places uh, that run this dice. And if you go onto the British Judo website, all the information is there. But I think the enrolment for this year is like 38 students across the country, which isn't a lot. Um, but Cambly obviously run um, a dice course there as well, where you're able to go in. And they've mixed it up this year, so you can basically, you could either go and treat it like a full-time program, so you could go, some of the the people that go there, they come down, they live on site, they study uh, at a local college, as well as doing the DICE program, um, but you could also just come in for a set amount of time. Uh, so if there's any coaches or athletes who are interested in the DICE program, uh, send Luke a message. You can apply via the British Judo website as well. I'll put a little link in the description um, of this podcast as well. Uh, but yeah, what's uh, what's going on in the judo world? Uh, really, guys, I'd love to hear what's happening in your end. What, how are your classes going? What's what's your uptake like? Are you expecting to get back to competitions? You know, Gary said there's going to be a British Championships in December. Are you guys going to be there? Um, it would be really good to get your thoughts on, on how competitions are going to work um, moving forwards. Uh, I also, um, I've also contacted uh, a referee, which I've not managed to actually speak to yet. I want to speak to a referee about competitions. Um, I think that would be quite an interesting podcast. 
But yeah, so let me know what you guys are up to. If you want to get in contact, my, my email is vince at vincegilcorn.co.uk. Um, send me a message on Facebook, Instagram. Make sure you follow. Uh, there's a new blog post coming out this week. Actually, I would have already released it by this um, on how to improve your Nagakomi. So you can see that on a that's on vincegilcorn.co.uk forward slash blog. Uh, and uh, in the background i'm working on a, a little ebook as well which hopefully will be ready in the near future for you guys um but yeah stay in touch i hope you guys are enjoying your judo and i'll speak to you all very very soon judo talk talk judo talk talk judo